Father God, we do thank you for Kai. We thank you for the words that you have placed on his heart for us this evening. Lord God, we pray that you would come by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would minister to Kai now, that you would give him the exact words that we need to hear tonight, that you would give him a boldness and a courage to say the things that you are asking him to say. And Lord, would you give each of us ears to hear and hearts to listen to your voice. Amen. Thank you. And well, it is lovely to be with you all um, again. And it is just a lush day, a lovely evening. And what an absolutely fab reading. It is what you might call one of the classics. If you've been in church for a few years, you would have heard this reading over and over and over and maybe over again. But as you read through this story, you probably, if you have heard it before, and if you haven't, you've just heard a treat, you already kind of know the words. And to that point, I guess the parable of the Good Samaritan can remind you of that favorite story you might have had when you were a child. I know for me, when I was a child, I had a favorite book, what my mom would read to me, and later on I could read for myself, and it was called Tony's Hard Work Day. And it basically told the story of a kid called Tony who was a bit of a pain, and he was getting in the way in his family home, and his family home was falling apart, and, he had, and their family were trying to repair it. But Tony basically went off and built a new home, and everyone moved into there. And I just remember it because, well, I don't know. Tony was a good guy. He could build a house. He was a child, he could build a house. You can do anything. But I remember that story through and through. I can remember my mom reading it. And you might not have heard of Tony's Hard Work Day. In fact, I'd be surprised if you had. But it meant a lot to me. And it shows the power of stories. It shows the power of stories and how stories play on us. Stories in a good book, what you might have read, stories from a play you have seen, stories from a film you have watched. A good film, if you're like me at least, you will watch over and over and over again. Find something new in it, find comfort in it, find joy in it. Stories help us to learn. And Jesus especially knew that. Jesus knew the power of story. And as we follow through the Gospel of Luke, what we have been doing this year, we get to the point where Jesus starts to tell his stories, to start to tell his parables, and to start to tell the truths of the kingdom of God through them. And that is a really important thing, because a parable isn't just a story isn't just to entertain. There are people who heard it who would be entertained. There are people today who would be entertained. A parable wasn't temporary. A parable contained a truth or truths that are eternal. And it's the reason, I guess, why, even though the parables of Jesus were written 2,000 or so years ago in a land far away, they are still incredibly relevant today and are still able to hit us in the heart because there is so much eternal truth in it. And this parable 
the parable of the Good Samaritan is perhaps the most famous of all. The parable that has an effect on secular life as well as spiritual life. A parable which will mean a lot to a great many of us. And a parable a bit like Tony's hard work day that maybe we heard for the first time when we were a child. But parables are complicated things. On one level, they are, of course, good stories. And no doubt those who heard the parable of the Good Samaritan were entertained, but they're complicated. There is a lot of nuance and a lot of truth in them all. And as a general rule, when you read parables, one of the things perhaps you should do is look for the twist or look for the twists. I'll give you an example from another parable, a very famous parable, a short parable of Jesus, the parable of the lost sheep. Lovely story. Jesus lost a sheep, he goes off to find it. Happy ending, everyone's happy. But when people would have heard that for the first time at the time, it would have been completely crazy. What on earth idiot farmer leaves 99 sheep to go and find one sheep? You write that sheep off as a loss. There's a twist there which explains the kingdom of God and how valuable that we are in God's eyes. And the parable of the Good Samaritan is full of twists. Twist number one, as Jesus tells his story to explain who your neighbor is, it's a classic twist. The good guys ain't the good guys. The good guys are the bad guys. Oh, now, that would have hit a nerve back in the day. And I'll tell you for why, because back in the day, people like me weren't going to be a priest. These were the hoi polloi. These were the hoity-toity. These guys were the top of society. And they commanded a lot of respect. The same would go for a Levite. To even mention a priest in a story is quite a daring thing to do. But to mention that they were a bit of a wrong one, well, that is even more daring again. It would have shocked the audience, the thought of this high person in society, this priest, and this other high person in society, this Levite, would ignore a person in need. And not just a person in need, a fellow Jew who is in need. It would have been shocking. But maybe, just maybe, those who heard the story could have made excuses for them. Maybe, as they listened to this story, their minds would have turned to the Jew who was beaten up by the bandit and thought, well, that's his own fault. Because he was on a dangerous road. He was going through a place that was full of bandits. He had no business being there. He had only himself to blame. The least and the priest and the Levite, well, they had other things to do. And not only that, these guys were busy. These guys were important. Who knew where the priest was heading to? Maybe he had to make his way to the temple for the sacrifice, which he couldn't be late for. Maybe the Levite had to interfere on a legal matter, which he couldn't be late for. And when you think of it in that way, actually, there's a bit of a point. 
I say this as a man who is busy. It can be really hard. It can be really challenging to live out this idea of love. When you're expected to be from one place to the next. When you're expected to be from one place to the next. I remember before we even came here, and I would do multiple services on a Sunday, if I was one minute late between churches, it would kick off something terrible. Because there was always the expectation that you would be from one place to the other. And maybe the priest, maybe the Levite, they were living under these circumstances. They had to be from one place to the other to do the good work. Yes, there was this Jew who was beaten up. And probably he was a bit of a numpty for being somebody he shouldn't have been to get beaten up. These guys were busy. These guys were important. But here's the challenging truth of all of that. That ain't the way of Jesus. Whenever you read through the Gospels and you explore the Gospels, Jesus operates in a busy way. In a different way. We can all agree that Jesus was a pretty busy guy. He was traveling around the land. And he had three years to explain the kingdom of God in. Three years to go town to town to teach. Three years to tell these parables. Three years to do miracles. Three years to heal. But can you find me in the Gospels an example of where Jesus tells someone to do one? He's busy doesn't matter who it is, a small child, a Gentile, someone in need, Jesus always has the time. And almost all the time, he's interrupted. Almost all the time, he's making his journey from one place to the other, and he is interrupted. He is probably interrupted for this parable in the first place. Somebody stopped and explained, can you say to me who my neighbor is? Interrupted to which he stops and he explains in this most beautiful way who his neighbor is. And the truth here for us all, for even us busy people, is sometimes we have to prioritize God's people. And that's just how it is. A few years ago, Liz and I were doing a healing service down in South Wales. And this healing service was due to begin at 7.30pm. Well, me and somebody else were outside the church at the time, ready to, I guess, welcome people in. And we saw this lady out there. The lady had come to pick up her child from the youth group, and she'd kind of been on the edge of church for a few years. She'd come along to church to kind of encourage her child to the local church school and that sort of thing. And we'd had a few conversations, and she went, Oh, are you okay? How are you, love? And we stopped and we had a chat. So we stopped, we had a chat, and said, How are you? And said, Oh, I've got this bad back. I've got a bad back, and I've had a bad back all my life. It really does my head in. It is horrible. I can't move, I can't do anything. I've got a bad back. Thinking, Here we go, we've got a healing service. What are you going to do? Can we pray for your back? So we pray. And we spend some time praying for her. And she goes, ooh, I'm all hot. And then she goes, ooh, that's weird. That's really weird. 
I'm going home now. I'm going to do a cartwheel. And she went off and sure enough, she texted and sent a message a little bit later on to say, my back is completely better. I've been doing cartwheels at home. It is amazing. Of course, what we've forgotten to do is we've got a healing service to do. So the irony of going into a healing service and starting the service 20 minutes late to say, sorry, we're late. We were doing a healing outside. And thankfully, people were so gracious with us. But what I should have done, according to my job, is say, make an appointment. I know you're in pain. Come and see me on another day. And well, we can pray for you another day. I've got to go and do church right now. People always come first. And this is where Jesus points out, no matter how important, no matter how busy the priests are, no matter how important that Levite is, they should take the time to care for the person in need. And we should take the time to care for the person in need as well. I always remember when we became parents, somebody saying to us, the hoovering can wait. Because I'm a guy who can be quite obsessive on certain areas. <laughs> Thank you. And, and of course, being clean is like really important, but somebody that the hoovering can wait. You have to spend time with your child. There are some things that you can't substitute, and time is one of them. And the priest and the Levites were so obsessed with being where they needed to be, they forgot the time. And when they forgot the time, they forgot the love. So the first twist is, the bad guys aren't the good guys, though they should be. The second twist is, and you know it already, the person who stopped to help was the Samaritan. Now, you probably know this already, but it's always worth repeating that Jews and Samaritans were mortal enemies. They hated each other. There's a long history going on there. They practiced a religion that was very, very similar, but also quite different. Jews and Samaritans are probably most comparable with Roman Catholics and Protestants in Northern Ireland for most of the 20th century. They just didn't like each other. So when Jesus dares to say, and I mean dares to say, that there is a Samaritan involved stopping, that is a drop-the-mic moment. Everyone would have been completely and utterly shocked at this notion. A Samaritan, an horrible Samaritan, stopping to talk to this guy, stopping to help this guy, as this Jesus lost the plot or war. They aren't going to do that. But Jesus was being deliberately provocative. He knew exactly what he was doing by mentioning the Samaritan. And he also knew that in using the Samaritan's name, their nationality, he was playing into the prejudices that the Jews had and how those prejudices can be unwarranted. And it's always something that we need to guard our hearts against. All of us on a level are capable of showing hatred. All of us on a level are capable of showing anger. And all of us on a level 
are capable of showing prejudice. And we can almost dismiss people because of that prejudice. We all do it. Mostly we do it without even realizing we do it. And sometimes we do it unwittingly. But it's not the way of the Lord. And we can substitute the word Samaritan with anyone, really. We can substitute the word Samaritan with somebody from a different religion. We can substitute the word Samaritan with somebody of a completely different value structure for us. We can substitute the word Samaritan with anyone. And it is so easy to think of another person, another group of people, as not getting it. Because we have got it. And it's so easy to allow indirect prejudices creep into our lives. But we are called to see people how God sees people. And you is a mind-blowing truth. God created the Jews and God created the Samaritans. God loved the Jews and God loved the Samaritans. He loved them all and his desire for all was to come into his kingdom. And his desire for all people today is to come into his kingdom. And the challenge for us is to see the good in people, even those who we think are utterly despicable. Think about the worst offender in prison. Think about the person who's done the worst crimes. Think about the most degenerate in society. And then remember, they are loved by God. They are made by God. And in fact, they are made in the image of God and they are still capable of doing good. They are capable of doing good. All are capable of doing good. And we need to pray, help the Lord, seek the Lord to show us a way in which we can see him do good and recognize good. And I don't know how many times in my own life that has been a challenge. How many times in my own life I've let my own frustrations spill out. I've left my own anger spill out. I've left my own other issues spill out because of what people do. And sometimes over really ridiculous ways. A few months ago, I was in a bit of a rush. So I decided I was going to go for a cheeky bit of McDonald's for lunch. There were two cars in the queue, me and somebody else in front. I was in a rush. I was knackered as well. The car in front was taking forever. You know the score? They were there forever. They place an order. I place my order. They go around the hatch. They're at the hatch forever. I'm getting frustrated. Don't get me wrong. I'm a coward. So I'm not going to beat my own or do anything like that. But I am going to tap my thumb on the steering wheel. And I am going to get a little bit annoyed. And I'm going to think ill thoughts about this person who's taking their time. Because I've got to be places. And I've got to eat that cheeseburger while driving my car. Anyway, so this particular person drives to the next hatch, gets their food. I go to pay. And the person says, oh, by the way, the person in front paid for you. 
They just stopped to say, can I pay for that guy behind me? I beeped the horn, gave the international sign of approval, the thumb up. They beeped the horn back, gave the international sign of approval, the thumb back. And I thought, what a plonker I am. I thought all these ill, terrible thoughts about this person because they were interfering in my life and getting in my way. And they've done this not amazingly kind, generous thing for me. We don't always recognize it at the time. But there is good in so many people. And there is good in all people. And Jesus, choosing a Samaritan in this parable demonstrates the good that is in all and the desire for all to come to know him. And twist number three, I guess you could say in this parable, is the fact that the Jew who was beaten up, the Jew who was probably in the wrong place, the Jew who was lying in a ditch, had no business receiving help from a Samaritan. The Jew, by rights, when the Samaritan came along, should have said, no, thank you, you're a Samaritan and I'm a Jew. But he accepted help. This parable is called the parable of the good Samaritan, but it could equally be called the parable of the gracious Jew. Because the Jew was willing to cast aside his prejudice, to cast aside what he knew, to accept help from this person who is offering it to them. And I think for me, above all, this is the greatest challenge of this particular parable. Who are we willing to accept help from? Giving help is actually quite easy. Most of us are quite nice people. And actually, there's a nice feeling about being a bit of a do-gooder, isn't it? It can feel quite nice. But accepting the help, well, that's something else. And that can be really, really hard. Remember when Liz and I first moved to a curacy? And I think I'd been ordained about a month when I had to do my first funeral. The rector had trained me up in what I had to do. And I was going to the house of Arthur Dover, 92, who died of a ripe old age. It was a good, nice one to have for a first funeral. So I went along. I met with the family, took my notes did the funeral. It all seemed to go okay. Then the rector said, now young man, it's time for the follow-up visit. And he told me what to do. Go in there, be polite, be kind, check they're okay, but don't let anything interfere. So I went in. I sat down with this widow and this widow just looked at me and said, you all right, love? And I said, yeah, yeah, it's okay, yeah. You haven't been doing this long, have you? No, no, I heard it was your first funeral. Yeah, it was. It was really good. How are you feeling about it all? And I went there to go and check that she was all right and do the, the, you know, the vicar thing. How are you? Is there anything we can do? Anything we can help? Can we get one of our team to come and visit you and all of this kind of stuff? And all I did for the hour or so I was with her was spill my heart out about the challenge of how life had changed how everything was different and what it was like. And she was just so kind, so wonderful, 
gave so much advice, talked about her husband, talked about his life, talked about their life, and just encouraged me so much. I remember at the time coming out and feeling just a little bit guilty that I hadn't done my job properly. But then thinking about this parable and actually the understanding of that we need to be willing to accept help as much as we are willing to give help. And one of the hardest truths that we can face up to as human beings is that we are vulnerable. One of the hardest truths that we face is that one day on one level, we will all need help. And it can be a struggle to accept that help. But when we accept that help, it is again as much of an act of love as giving that help. Where we receive the help, who we receive the help from, it doesn't matter. What matters is that we are willing to be gracious because that, at the end of it all, is what Jesus did for us, what Jesus does for us. He is the ultimate caregiver to us. He is the ultimate offerer of grace to us. We don't deserve his grace. We don't deserve his mercy. We don't deserve his forgiveness. But he gives it, and he gives it, and he gives it in abundance. And we accept that forgiveness. We accept that grace. And we praise the Lord for his grace. There are so many twists and turns in this parable. But fundamentally, it is about doing good and being a do-gooder. And whether that is doing the good acts or whether that's receiving the good acts, taking the time to spend with people, whatever, being a do-gooder. And that can sound just a little bit weak. That can sound a little bit trite. Doing good deeds can sound in the church as a little bit lukewarm in comparison with preaching the gospel, telling people about Jesus and doing other things like that. But it's at the core of who we are. When you think about the fruit of the Spirit, you have kindness and goodness in there. It is the core of what Jesus does. And every good deed we do points the way to Jesus. The scriptures tell us never to tire of doing good, but keep doing good. And when we do good, on one level or another, though we might not always recognize it, we point the way towards Jesus. Just before Christmas, the family had to move out of Arboristwith and move down to Arboriron for a few weeks. And it was lovely, actually. But while we were there, one Saturday night, I took the dogs out for a walk. And I was texting Liz at the same time. And I just texted her to go, oh, no. What happened is a bloke was on the floor with two ladies. And this bloke had a little bit too much sleeping juice. And he was on the floor, just out of it. And I started to walk away, thinking, you know what? It's Saturday night. 
Sunday's a busy old day. I want to get home. I want to watch a bit of telly. I want to go to bed. I want to be ready for Sunday. And I start walking along, and did all that voice of conscience just started tickling me. So I went back. I saw this guy. I saw this guy. I said, what's wrong? Well, he's paralytic, isn't he? Of course he is. Okay. Can you give us an hand? So I spent some time, gave a hand. Oh, come on. Here we go. He was all right. Went off. I'm running late. I'm in a bit of a bad mood, but at least I've done my bit, yeah? A few weeks later again, and I think it was the week before we moved away, I drove to the house that we were staying at from Aberystwyth and my dog collar on. Walked down the road and I saw those two women and, oh, it's you! Oh, you're a vicar, are you? What must you think of us? Nothing, it was all right. And then we just had this really long conversation about what I did and about Jesus outside a pub, ironically. But it was such a powerful way. And through that, and actually me forgetting to take my dog collar off, they were able to see why I do what I did. And because it was Jesus, all good things point towards Jesus. And I'd love to stand here and say that happens to me every day. But to be honest with you, I screw up a lot as well. But it's good because God forgives us. Good works go a long way. And our call this evening is to be good Samaritans. Our call this evening is to be gracious Jews. Our call this evening isn't to be priests or Levites. Our call is to do acts of love. So let's pray. Well, Father, we give thanks for this familiar story. And we give thanks that it moves our hearts so much. And we give thanks that whether we've heard it for the first time this evening or we have heard it time and time again, it is still able to speak to us. We give thanks for this story. And we pray, Lord, that we would live out the truth in this story of doing good in your name. And we pray that we would never tire of doing good works. And we pray that as we do good works, we will point the way towards you. We pray that when we need help, we would accept the help that we are given and that kindness and love would flow and that we would be good neighbours to all who need it. We would be good neighbours in return. And so, Lord, we lift ourselves to you this evening. And I pray this evening, especially for those of us who are worn out, those who are tired, those who are aching, those who have had too much sun, those who have felt that the summer has got them down, those who have worked hard in this week, those who are feeling it. And I pray now that by the power of your spirit, you would energize us, you would revitalize us, and you would bless us as we go into this week. We lift the world and all its needs to you, praying for all the things that we see. We lift this community to you as well. 
And we pray that as we lift these things to you, we will be willing to be your hands, your feet and your body in the world to bring about the good that needs to happen for change. Lord, fill us and inspire us with your spirit this evening. Come, minister us, we pray. In the name of Jesus, your Son. Amen. Amen.